Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Always good to be here. Always fantastic to gather together. And I just I find myself in a tricky position. How do you move on from something like that? Hey, <laughs> it's almost like we've collectively ascended into the throne room of God and have tasted, you know, like and heard from a choir of angels. Hey. And by that I mean not just our beautiful voices, but a cry that's come from the church of God, people who are expressing themselves in thankfulness for who He is in them, which flows out in song, it flows out in the way that they live, it flows out in their love for one another, their fellowship, togetherness. It's who we are, the church of God, and it's what we do, because it's who we are. And so... It's my privilege this morning to be the first person to speak to the, uh, the, the theme that was, that's going to be running through this year. You'll see it on the board. It's called oneness, um, or the other word for it is fellowship. Fellowship. It's a bit of a biblical word, hey? Bit of a biblical word that you don't hear too much about in modern day language, but Fellowship, when we see in Scripture, is not just a side part of the gospel. It's actually at the very heart and core of what the gospel actually is itself. You know, it says in 1 John 1.6, that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ cleanses us of all sin. We have fellowship with one another. Now, we're going to be looking at this core theme of fellowship, of spiritual oneness over the course of the year. And you'll see there's going to be a number of themes attached to it. We might look at things like true worshipers. We'll look at the gospel. But they're all going to be centered around the central theme, which I believe is the artery of the gospel. It's called fellowship. It's oneness with Christ and with one another. Now, like I said, fellowship is probably not a word that you use in your modern day vocab, but it's certainly a word that's get you, that gets used a lot in Scripture. And there can be some common misperceptions about what the word fellowship actually means. I know certainly growing up in the church that you would come together for fellowship, which means you come together for a bit of a cup of tea and a scone, maybe a bit of a chit-chat. And if you're real spiritual, you might have a cup of tea with a conversation about God attached to it. And yet the scripture actually talks a lot more about fellowship than just a bit of a cup of tea and a chit-chat. In fact, the word fellowship is such a foundational word. The word in the Greek, it means koinonia, koinonia. Let me just find my notes here. The word fellowship is the word koinonia, and it means participation. Interesting, eh? The word fellowship in the Scriptures means participation. And you'll see throughout the Gospels, that word is used interchangeably. Paul talks, um, in, uh, he talks in Philippians about his fellowship with the saints of God. And he says, I thank God for you because of your participation in the Gospel, that he who began a good work is faithful and just to see it to the end. He uses the word 
participation, but it's actually the same word koinonia, which means fellowship. Now, participation is a really interesting way to see this word fellowship, because I think for so long we've confused relationship with fellowship. Now, you need to have a relationship, or relationship and fellowship are connected, but they're not the same thing. In fact, relationship is about association with someone, something, some event, but fellowship is about participation in and with that person. Now, I'd like to illustrate the difference between these two things by inviting up two volunteers. No, no, two other volunteers. Two other volunteers that don't normally volunteer for something like this. Honestly, it's actually, I'm not going to embarrass you. Oh, Chris, welcome back, mate. Come on up. One more. One more volunteer. Come on up. Yeah, give them a round of applause. Good to see you, my man. Chris has just come back from uh, Perth. All right. So, association and participation. Two similar sounding words, but two very different uh, interpretations and a very different heartbeat. Now, my two very good-looking volunteers here are friends by association. They've both been delivered something. Can you show your audience? What have you got? What is it? Yeah, I bet you all wish you were volunteering now. All right, so my friends are friends by association. They've both been called out of the audience. They've both come up on stage. They're under the spotlight. There's a bit of connection. Do you want to share your names with each other, maybe? Hi, I'm Chris. <laughs> Hi, Chris. I'm Helen. There we go. The relationship has started already. All right. So, Helen, if you don't mind, just um, just opening up that um, that golden egg there. It's been a while, yeah. <laughs> and uh, just give it a go. Have a have a try. Give it a go. It's been a long time. What you do is you eat it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's that? Oh, look at that. Toys. <laughs> All right, that's pretty cool, eh? Now, Helen, if you don't mind just explaining to Chris what you've, uh, what you've encountered. Hi, Chris. Um, I don't have children, and this looks like a bit technical for me, um, but it's something interesting. It looks cool, yeah. Yeah, so there's like instructions, thank the Lord for it, yeah. in there, and um, later on I will read those instructions. But it's interesting and exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Nice, nice. And um, what about what about the chocolate? Chocolate tastes real nice. <laughs> yeah. What what kind of flavors could you taste? Chocolate. Chocolate. Now our friends here are still in the place of association. They've both been given an egg. They've both received something good. 
but one has tasted, one has participated, but the other has just witnessed and seen the other, but hasn't actually partaken himself. Now, Helen has had to describe to Chris what chocolate tastes like, and according to Helen, chocolate tastes like chocolate. (laughs) Now, Chris, how do you think that chocolate in Helen's mouth tasted? Uh, I think it tastes pretty good. But Chris is gambling. When was the last time he tasted a Kinder Surprise? Maybe never before. He's having to guess and think, man, Helen has just eaten chocolate, which she says tastes like chocolate and it's good. It's got a little toy that she needs a child to come and help her to put together. But really, Chris is only a friend. He's in a relationship now by association. But these two good-looking volunteers have not come to the point yet of participation. Why? Because fellowship's not a matter of relationship. It's not a matter of mutual association. It's a matter of joint participation, both people having entered, tasted the goodness of the chocolate. Now, Chris, your time has come, my man. Give it a try. See what you reckon. You can eat the whole thing, my man, all in one bite if you can. (laughs) That's how you do it, Helen. (laughs) How does that taste, Chris? Very good. What does it taste like? Tastes sweet. Sweet. What do you reckon? Does that... Describing word, Chris. I'm learning. That's a good describing word. So all of a sudden, these good-looking volunteers have moved. Their relationship has shifted. It's changed gear. Now, Helen thought that chocolate tasted like chocolate. And Chris was like, yeah, I guess that's the case. But when he tasted it, he put new words to something that she couldn't describe but she knew about. So when Chris said, oh, it's, it's sweet, Helen was like, oh, yes, that is a way better way of describing But the knowledge came not when Chris used a word to describe sweetness, right? The participation came when the chocolate hit his mouth and hit her mouth, and all of a sudden they had fellowship before he had even spoken a word describing the situation to her. Do you see the difference? Relationship, mutual association, Both called on stage, both received the gift, both opened the gift. But that relationship needed to move from association to joint participation. Round of applause. Thank you for my volunteers. You can grab a seat. All right. I bet you all want to sign up for my uh, volunteers. Roan, next time, mate, I've got you. (laughs) All right. So the message, I know that was a fun example, but the message of the gospel is not one of participation, uh, sorry, is not one of association with God. It's about participation in God. For too long, the message of the gospel has been preached almost as an association message. Pray a prayer, enter into the family of God, become a Christian, come and attend church services, serve in the cafe, do all of these things. These things are all right, and they're all good, and they're all part of the gospel. The gospel that um, 
brings eternal salvation and passing out of death and into life and being with him in heaven when we die. These are all such important elements of what the gospel is, but it's not the very heartbeat, the very artery of the gospel itself, which was always those things for an ultimate end to move us from association with God to participation in God. Now, when we receive Christ, we receive, we receive the gospel. Like my colleagues up the front here, they received an egg, but they needed to move from having received it to participating in it. And that is the mystery that God is unveiling through the scriptures. Whoa, that just got real deep. I mean the microphone. Now, as you can see, participation has no, or fellowship, is not defined in any way by natural relationship. By natural relationship. And this is where things start to get slightly offensive in the gospel. You know, Jesus is doing what he does, and I think he's involved in a miracle, and his mum and his brothers are at the door. And his disciples say to him, Jesus, your mum is at the door. And he says, who are my mother? Who is my mother and my brothers? What does he say? Those who do the will of my father. What is he saying? What does it mean to be in fellowship with me? It's not those who are associated to me by physical bloodline. It's those who have participated in me and have received the gospel. Those are my mother and my brothers. Now, that gets slightly offensive when we start to talk about things like fellowship. Because all of a sudden, being closely connected relationally and physically does not necessarily mean that you are participating with each other in the gospel and a sharing and fellowship that's heavenly and spiritual. Now, take my son Levi, for example, who I love and adore. I had a situation the, um, the other week where we were at Awesome Bounce, and Levi is normally a pretty loud and energetic and boisterous kind of a, a, a guy. You would have seen him already <laughs> up the front of the stage. But as we, were, as we were just playing, he saw a little kid on the swing who was much younger than him. And he went up to this little kid, and he just gently started pushing this kid on the swing. And the dad came up to me, and he said, he said, is that your son? And he, and he said to me, he said, wow, he is so gentle. And I was like, wow. You know, I was so proud that an attribute that I know that is... I'm, I know that by personality, I'm gentle, and I saw that he had replicated that same behavior, seeing a situation to be gentle, and was just gently pushing this kid on the swing. It was a beautiful moment for me as a father, and I was so proud of my son who had seen something demonstrated in the home that he modeled. And yet, in the proudness of that moment... My son and I are still only sharing on the level of association and not participation as defined by Scripture. 
Now, this is where things get confronting and potentially even confusing. Now, Levi, my son, and I, and Tess, we pray together. We every night sing worship songs together with him. He prays. Who would you like to pray for? Mia Bella is what he says. <laughs> he comes along to services pretty much every Sunday. He is probably one of the most dedicated attendees at The Rock. <laughs> He's here every week. He loves it. So we are involved in all of this life together. We're even, like an example that I shared, we're even growing together emotionally. We're growing together in our involvement in a church community. And yet, fellowship as defined by Jesus is not mutual association in the things that we're involved in together. It's participation in the gospel. Now, my son, who's two years old, has an idea of God, but he certainly doesn't know God. He hasn't been born again of the Spirit. He's heard about the gospel, but he hasn't, he hasn't entered into this transaction where he goes from living for himself to living from God to being born into Adam and being born again into Christ. He is in a healthy place emotionally and physically. He's in a Christian home, which is loving and nurturing and caring. But there's something greater for us to enter into as a family than just what I described. It's called fellowship. Now, the looks on your faces, I have to say, <laughs> we've, we've transitioned. Is that a confusing topic? Is that a confusing thing to say? But true spiritual fellowship is not defined in any way by personality, by emotional maturity, by our even attendance here on a Sunday service, even our religious rituals, even if they are really good, healthy things that we're a part of, our service, our singing, our songs, they all form a part of it and there to be expressions of fellowship but they aren't fellowship in the substance of what it is. True fellowship is participation in the gospel. Now, I have the absolute privilege of raising Levi, my son, and my heart yearns every day for him to enter into not just emotional maturity, although I celebrate it and will continue to celebrate his physical and emotional growth, but as a father... I have, my heart for him is bigger than just becoming a good human being. I yearn to enter into true spiritual fellowship with him, where we share in not just family life, but in the gospel. And so Paul, when he's talking to the people in Philippians, and he's saying, he's saying, guys, I thank God for you because of your participation in the gospel, because I know that God who has begun a good work is faithful to complete it. He's talking not about their association, but their participation, their fellowship, their togetherness that comes 
from having tasted the same heavenly food source, having received the same substance of Christ on the inside, that their true togetherness and their fellowship, their communion is now not based on natural relationship. It's based on and in Christ. Now, I'd like us to go back to the beginning this morning because I feel that in looking at the beginning and in seeing the end, we'll understand better what it is that God is doing in us and through us now. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And uh, actually make it Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. And just put your finger there, because I'm going to read some other bits. I'll put here, if you're writing notes, from the beginning, God has designed us and predestined us for fellowship with him through his Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let us make man in our image. God's intention from the beginning was that we would be made, created, formed in his image created for intimacy, created for closeness with him, created for compatibility with him. And the image that he's talking about is not our good looks. It's not our physical body. The image that he's talking about is that in his heart from the beginning was that we would be created with the same nature and character that was in him, drawing from the same source of life and being partakers of the tree of life fellowship. So in the beginning, God said that Adam and Eve could eat of any tree in the garden. In Genesis 2.9, it says, including the tree of life that was at the center of the garden. I'm not sure if you were aware, but there were two trees in the garden and many more. Not just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but the tree, uh, the tree of life that God had put there for them to share in communion with him. In Genesis 2, verse 25, it said that they were naked and not ashamed. They were secure in their identity in him. That identity came from a place of communion and a place of knowing him. They were to be partakers of his nature, sharers of his image. In Genesis 2, 23, God creates woman, to be in fellowship with man. Adam and Eve were in fellowship with one another, and he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But I put here, with the fall came death and a tearing apart of the fellowship that God had called them into with him, a destruction of the spiritual oneness that he had in his heart for them and had hoped and predestined for them to share in. 
In Genesis 2, 17, God said if, to Adam and Eve, if you eat from this tree, speaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. So in Genesis 3, verse 6, Adam and Eve ate. They were deceived. Let me read this to you. Uh, so most of you will know the story that the serpent had deceived either, and we'll pick it up in verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in that day that you eat for it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight for the eyes, and that it was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So God says to them, if you eat of this tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And so Adam and Eve are deceived, and they eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now what happens when they eat from that tree? Do they die? Do they die? I hear yes, no, potentially, maybe, not sure. Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God has just said that the consequence, if you eat this tree, you will surely die. But we see in Genesis 3, 4, 5, that Adam and Eve are still alive. Has God lied? Has he just softened down the consequence of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, of disobedience? If you eat this tree, you will surely die. Now let's pick it up and see what happened to them. We've seen that they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves loin coverings. In verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? So God said, The consequence if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. But Adam and Eve are still alive. So what was that consequence? Now, the death that they died, I did hear it from some people over here, was a death, not a physical death, but a spiritual one. What was it that died in the garden? Was it their, were they cut off from eternal salvation? Did they physically die? No. But they were disconnected from the source of life and there was a death not of association with God, but of participation in God. They died not physically, but spiritually. Now, we see here some consequences of this decision, but also some outcomes that continue to play out in the following chapters. Now, continuing after the fall, I've said here they continue to live physically, they continued in relationship with God. After they had ate, the, ate in the tree, they, they, they hid from God and God came looking for them and said to them, where are you? 
they continued in dialogue and in conversation with him. There was no big bang moment where you eat this tree and they just conked out almost like, you know, Avatar and the guys are like disconnected from the thing. And they'd... But they continued in relationship with a form of relationship with God. He continued to be a source of physical provision towards them. I don't know if anyone's seen this before, but write down Genesis 4.25. They dedicated their baby to him. Now, what is going on here? That you eat the tree and you surely die, but yet there's a measure of relationship with God There's an acknowledgement of his provision of a child for them. What really is happening? See, he continued to be their resource, but they had been cut off from him being their source. He continued in association with them, but not participation in them. And even in their relationship together, Adam and Eve, I'll put here, they continued in their relationship with each other, but went from seeing each other. Okay, sorry, let me wind back a bit. So we've got here, they continued in relationship with God and were able to hear his voice, where are you? But were not able to receive now his word. Why? Because when he came to them and said, where are you? The voice that was once the voice of fellowship and communion and closeness and intimacy was all of a sudden the voice of condemnation. It was the same voice from the same God, from the same person they had been in communion with. But all of a sudden, because of a a death that had taken place and a disconnect that had happened, a Um, a falling out of fellowship, the one voice that was the source of life had become to them a source of condemnation and of death. They continued in association, but not participation in the life of that word and and of that voice. He continued in a measure of physical provision towards them, He continued to be their resource, but he was no longer their source. It says that they were cut off from the tree of life and that there was an angel placed in front of the tree of life to guard the way in so that they could no longer partake of this tree. He continued to be their resource, but he was no longer their source of life. And they continued in relationship with each other. Adam and Eve didn't get divorced at the fall. They continued together. But you see here flowing through from a a death that took place in the fellowship between Adam and Eve and God, then flowed through and influenced the physical relationship and the fellowship that they were to share with one another. So she was to be bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And all of a sudden... Once the fall happened, she was no longer a promise to Adam. She was a problem. So when God comes to Adam, 
He says, oh, the woman that you gave me made me eat. The woman that you gave me. Oh, the woman that you gave me that was to be flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. The woman that you gave me as my helper, my, um, my uh, what do you say? The, the person that you have given to support and encourage and uplift me. The person that you had given so that we could collectively demonstrate and express your image, God, across the face of this earth. All of a sudden, the promise that he had given to Adam became a problem. And Adam all of a sudden saw his wife as the problem for his lack of spiritual life. Now, I hope that you can see some things flowing through here that happened at the first that, have, that has infected mankind that has been born into Adam from the beginning of creation. The people that he has given us, the church of God, the body of Christ. Now, he went from this being a source of provision and com- fellowship and communion and togetherness to there was a sense of conflict, and all of a sudden, he was blaming his lack on other people. The New Testament calls it hurt. It calls it bitterness. And it says, don't let a root of bitterness get in. Why? Because when it gets in, it will defile many. Because the hurt that you are now living from, that you speak about others, and the issues that you have with others will defile not just yourself, but those around you. Those around you will now become a problem to you, not part of the promise that God has given you for your own growth, your own edification, your own building, in your own family, but also in this family. So what changed? What changed at the fall if they remained in a form of relationship, a form of provision? They did. God didn't change, but they changed. There wasn't a death of him. There was a death that took place in them, where the image that he had created them in was tainted and marred and twisted, so much so that, like I said, there was a death that took place of fellowship between them. The New Testament interprets it, and it says that they were darkened in their understanding because of the ignorance that is within them. They went from walking in the light as he is in the light and having fellowship with him and one another to walking in the darkness, walking separated from him and independent of the very source of life, the tree of life, Christ himself. Their their entire view and outlook and perspective of God changed in that moment. And they went from having fellowship with him, having been created in his image to be representatives and demonstrators of that image on the earth, to be those who demonstrated his very nature and character on the earth. God, who is selfless and loving and kind, had created them to share in that same life. But through this disconnect of fellowship, all of a sudden, 
the image that they were supposed to be demonstrating was marred and twisted. And they went from being made in the image of God to living a substandard, subpar life of who they were called to be. And the New Testament says this, it says, well, what then? What fellowship does God, or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does a good and selfless and um, God have with selfish and self-centered human beings? What fellowship does light have with darkness or the um, or um, the kingdom of God, the temple of God with idols? What fellowship do they have together? It's a bit dark, right? It's a bit grim. There's a few serious faces. But don't worry, I'm here to give you good tidings of great joy this morning. <laughs> oh my goodness, that just got a little bit too deep too quick. All right, now... We've covered all of the the dark and gloomy part of the gospel, but I think this is foundational to understand because if you don't know what was lost at the fall and you hear a message about Jesus coming to seek and save that which was lost, you'll think that that the seeking and saving that he came was to rescue us out of life and into heaven as opposed to seeing that the rescuing that he came to do was bringing a people out of darkness and the darkness that was in them that was tainted and came through the fall and to bring us as a people into the light, to walk in the light and to have fellowship with the one of light. So it is absolutely essential to know not just where we've come from, but the reality that lives in us that we've been born into in Adam so that when the gospel comes, it's actually and genuinely good news because it's the news of your own salvation, not just your destination in heaven, but the salvation of your entire being, the reconciliation, the redemption back so that you can be an ambassador of the image of God while you still breathe and a representative of this image that will be in you and through you. It's called the eternal life of God, and it lasts for eternity. The substance is of heaven, not of earth, and it has you living from a completely different source of life, the tree of life, Christ himself. So when the gospel comes... It addresses something more than just your eternal salvation. See, the message of the gospel is not primarily forgiveness. It's fellowship. So don't sell yourself a half gospel and stop at the entryway to what God has for you. Forgiveness is so absolutely essential for every single believer and follower of Christ. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We've had redemption through his blood. But it was always a means to a much greater end, that his forgiveness and his redemption will not just forgive us, but bring us into fellowship and communion in him. 
You know, it says in Colossians that we're to put off the old self and to put on the new self who's being renewed, excuse me, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Put off the old self and put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. As a Christian, are you being renewed to that image? Thank you. Or was the gospel that you heard in word only, but not in the power and substance of the life and the heartbeat of Christ that could redeem the image that he had created you in? from the beginning of creation. Put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Now, fellowship, like I've said, is not a common religious activity. It's not our works for God, the things that we do, the way that we serve, but it's our joint participation in God through the gospel. Now, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts and the church of God for the, for the first time received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on mass. Actually, let's go there in Acts, Acts chapter 2. Now, this is not long after Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. And the disciples and a number of others had been waiting um, for the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which was going to minister to them on the inside the power of God um, that he had said they had been called for. And so in Acts chapter 2, we see that the Holy Spirit is poured out and they receive this life source and this power on the inside of them. Now, it says this, it says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. These disciples who had witnessed the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ, were all together in one place in the upper room in Acts. And now, in our English Bibles, it says this, it says they were all together in one place. But because of, trans, because of translation having to make things make sense, in the Greek scriptures, it actually says that they were all together in one. Full stop. They were all together in one. It doesn't say one place. Why? Well, we need to make the Bible make sense. So they've obviously slotted in another word, which is helpful, but sometimes not helpful. Because it says that they were all together in one. What does that mean? It means that their togetherness and unity was not a matter of sharing a room together. It wasn't a matter of their association together, their gathering together, their 
church community meeting in a particular place, the fellowship that they shared was not a matter of physical location. It wasn't a matter of physical relationship. It was a matter that they were all together in one. And so when we see that the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts, the way that that's expressed and demonstrated in the life of a community of believers, you'll see is actually in fellowship. When they received the gospel, it says that they were pierced to the heart. Um, and they asked, uh, the, the brethren asked, and they said, what? What must, we, what must we do? And Peter says to them, repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, back in the day, the word baptize is baptizo, and the example of the day was of a pickle, like a gherkin. Has anyone got gherkins in their fridge? And when something's pickled, when something's baptized, it gets placed under the water. And the pickle is placed under the water with whatever it is, this liquid that that gets infused into it. And what happens is that the pickle gets so infused with the water and the substance that's in it that it actually takes on that very substance, not around it, it's not coated on the outside, It actually comes right on into the inside, and that pickle and that cucumber is no longer a cucumber, it's a gherkin. It's a gherkin, man. (laughs) And so what happened in Acts is that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So for the first time, a body on mass, a body of believers, went from death into life. The reality of the gospel, it says about Peter, it pierced their hearts. They no longer received, like Paul talks about the church in Thessalonians, about people who received the gospel in word only. They received it in power and in full conviction. They were baptized They were infused with the substance of the gospel, the life of Christ, the image of Christ, and they became born again, new creations, not just in word, but in reality. They went from being cucumbers to being gherkins. And what then is the outcome? What then is the outcome? Did they engage in more religious services? Did they sing a little louder? Then those who had received his word were baptized, and on that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as everyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind, 
in the temple. They were breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what do we see from this group of people who have gone from death to life, from those who have received the gospel that's pierced their hearts and has imparted the very substance of Christ to them? What do we see? Fellowship, togetherness, going from house to house and breaking bread, not just physical bread, but sharing and communion with one another. Fellowship, not just association with each other, but participation in the gospel. It says that they continued with one mind together. Now, something had happened not just on the outside of them. It says that tongues of fire rested on top of them. So there was a physical expression, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, but it was only a sign of what had taken place within them. They continued with one mind. They were able to have a conversation about chocolate being sweet and not just chocolate. They had a communion not just in word, but in substance and in reality. They no longer had association gathering together in one place, but they gathered together in one, one heart, one mind, one accord, and no one saw that anything that they had was their own. This was the church at the beginning. It was God's first intention from the beginning of creation that a man and a woman, he said, will be bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, fellowship, created in God's image to be a demonstrator, representative of his image on the earth. Man in the beginning. The church in the beginning. Fellowship. Together, one mind, one heart, one accord, not seeing their own positions as their own. Fellowship. And now at the very end of God's redemption story, can I suggest to you that the great mystery of the gospel is not forgiveness, but fellowship. If you go to the book of Revelation, you'll see in Revelation 2, chapter 7, that the promise to the overcomer is that he would once again come and partake of the tree of life. Who's heard of the tree of life before? Well, we just heard about it in the beginning. There were two trees in the garden, and one because of fellowship being because of a death that took place in Adam, there was a loss of fellowship. And yet God's redemption plan from the beginning of time, it says that the lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. He had something in his mind from the beginning to redeem mankind, that's you, by the way, back to himself, not just an association that you could be part of the church community and call yourself a Christian, but that you could enter into fellowship with him. And it says that the promise to the overcomer is that they would be able to partake of the tree of life 
entering into communion and fellowship and oneness with him. If you read through the book of Revelation, you'll see the tree of life, the tree of life, the tree of life, the tree of life. Right at the end of Revelation, Revelation 22, 14, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. The tree of life, the, which is not just a physical tree, it's Christ himself. Cool. Just notice it's 12.03. So to clarify, fellowship is not about association with God. It's about participation in God, through God, and with God. He's called all of us as his church to this kind of fellowship. It's not for special people. It's for the body of Christ. It's who you were predestined to be in Christ. It's not about your age. It's not about your gender. It's not about your ethnicity. It's not about your church attendance. It's not about any natural or earthly thing, which means that no one is excluded from it. It's about being in him. It's about the gospel. It's about a death to everything that came through the fall. Death to the old man and resurrection into this new man that Colossians talks about. Being renewed by a true knowledge into the image of the one who created him. Not just any image, but the image of God himself the substance, the life source, the reality of God in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So I hope that there's been some things that you've received this morning. I certainly know that I've, I received, even in preparing this, it's, it is, like I said, it's the artery, it's the heartbeat of the gospel, it's his eternal purpose, it's who he's chosen us to be. So, Father, I pray that this word that's heard wouldn't be heard by natural ears first. Father, let it be heard by our hearts. Father, let it be received on the inside that we had received the gospel, not just in word only, but in power and conviction and in the reality of Christ in us. Father, make and shift and change and build us into this people, Father, not just people who are be, being predestined to um, to live out your image, but never actually tasting, entering, eating from the tree of life that would empower us to become that image. So, Father, let us partake of you. Let us partake of the gospel, the tree of life, which alone gives us the ability to live as you lived. Father, I pray this for all of us as your family, the body, the saints of God. In Jesus' name, amen.